G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. What's different between Christianity and other religions in the world? Coming up today, Pastor Greg Laurie addresses that question. Religion can be summed up in one word, do. Do this and you'll reach nirvana. Do that and you may get to heaven one day. But Christianity can be summed up in one word. Not do, but done. I don't have to do a bunch of stuff to reach God. It's done. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. This is the day when the lost are found. It's one of the most challenging books to study. But so many of us feel more confident in our understanding of it as we've followed Pastor Greg Laurie in his series in Revelation. And today in A New Beginning, Pastor Greg guides us into chapter 17, where we'll tackle a passage rich with symbolism to give us the key to understanding what the Lord is saying to us. It's a study called Beauty and the Beast, part of Pastor Greg's series in Revelation, A Book of Promises. title of my message is Beauty and the Beast. Let's pray. Father, speak to us now as we open your word, as we peer into the future and look at what you gave to John on the island of Patmos about what is coming in the days ahead. Help us have understanding as to what this is all about and how it applies to our lives, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Beauty and the Beast. No, this is not a message about how I met Kathy, my wife. She's the beauty, I'm the beast, obviously. Nor is it a message about the Disney film by the same name. Nor is it a message about Christians versus Hollywood or Republicans versus Democrats. No, beauty and the beast, this is a message about good versus evil, God versus Satan, Antichrist versus Jesus Christ. First, let me start with the beast. The Bible says there is coming a world leader. He'll be charismatic. No doubt he'll be good looking. He'll bring global solutions. He'll bring a pseudo peace for three and a half years to this war-torn planet. And the fact of the matter is, the Bible calls him the beast. He's also referred to as Antichrist, the prefix anti, as I've told you before, doesn't just mean against, it also means instead of. And for those that don't know better, many will hail this charismatic world leader as the very Messiah. 
I shared recently that I was in Israel some years ago and I was talking with the Jewish man and I told him I believe Jesus was the Messiah and he said, well, we don't believe that as Jews. And I said, well, who do you think the Messiah will be? And he said this to me, we believe when our Messiah comes that he'll bring peace and rebuild our temple. I said, friend, you just described the Antichrist. And that's exactly who Antichrist is. He comes in the place of Christ and this phrase, the beast, is not a description of his appearance, but actually of his character. He'll be a wicked man. If Satan never had a son, this is him, the beast. Well, what about the beauty? Well, that's the church. And when I say church, I don't mean a brick and mortar building. I mean God's people gathering together. When you become a follower of Jesus, you become a part of the church and you now are the bride of Christ. Now, some guys are listening and you're saying, I don't wanna be a bride. Deal with it, you're a bride. You're the bride of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. We're the beauty in the story. But this battle between the beauty and the beast, if you will, goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. When Adam and Eve were tempted by the devil and the judgment of God came as a result of them eating of the forbidden fruit and God said to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. In other words, God is saying a battle has now begun and he put Satan on warning, the Messiah is coming. And so Satan wanted to stop Messiah from arriving in this conflict, this battle of the ages between the beauty and the beast, between Antichrist and Jesus Christ, between God and Satan began. But here's what we know. The beast is gonna lose and the beauty is going to prevail. That brings us to Revelation chapter 17. Where we are chronologically right now is we are in the second half of the tribulation period. Quick recap, the next event in my opinion on the prophetic calendar will be the rapture of the church. Immediately following that will be the emergence of Antichrist, and that will officially start the great tribulation period that begins peacefully, but at the halfway point with a temple rebuilt for the Jewish people in Jerusalem, the Antichrist desecrates it with the abomination of desolation, and then the final three and a half years of the tribulation, we have God's judgment coming upon the world. Everything culminates in the great battles of Armageddon, and then Christ returns and the second coming, we'll get to that in our next message, and then the millennium begins. Millennium means 1,000. It will be the 1,000 year reign of Christ on earth, and then heaven and earth become one. That's what the Bible teaches. And speaking of the rapture, I believe we will be caught up to meet the Lord before the tribulation begins. Let me give you three quick reasons why I believe that. Number one, the church is not on earth during the tribulation period, but it's in heaven. Now, as you recall, Revelation begins with the seven messages of Jesus to the seven 
churches. That's Revelation chapters two to three. But then we get to chapter four, which says, after these things. After what things? After the things of the church. So the church is mentioned multiple times in those first chapters of Revelation, 19 times. But then we don't see any mention of the church till Revelation chapter 19. So all that space in between Revelation is dealing with the other events that are gonna happen. Why? Because we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Number two, the rapture happens before the tribulation. The second coming happens at the end of the tribulation. So the second coming will have many signs preceding it. But the rapture, it can come at any moment. Remember, he comes as a thief in the night. The rapture is imminent. And by the way, the word imminent does not always mean soon. It just means inevitable. In other words, we don't know when the rapture will happen. Jesus says no man knows the day or the hour. The rapture could happen in 30 years, 20 years, 10 years, five years, five minutes today. It can happen at any moment. It's imminent. It's inevitable. It is going to happen. Number three, God will not judge Christians with non-Christians. So as I pointed out in the second half of the tribulation, God is pouring his wrath upon the world. First Thessalonians 1, 9 says, you turn to God from idols to serve the living God, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Now some might say, well, that's a reference to hell. No, it actually isn't. Contextually, as you look at it, he's talking about how his son is coming from heaven. So God is not rescuing us from hell in the context of this verse. Of course, he does that. But he's rescuing us from the great tribulation period, reinforcing that idea. For Thessalonians 5.9, Paul writes, God did not appoint us to wrath, that's Christians, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Everyone on earth has an appointment. You have an appointment. I have an appointment. The Christian's appointment is to be caught up to be with Christ. The appointment of this world is to face the day of the Lord in a future judgment. You cannot keep both of these appointments. Who is your appointment with? Jesus also said to the last day's church of Philadelphia in Revelation 3, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those that dwell on the earth. And then he says, behold, I'm coming quickly. Now that's clearly a reference to the tribulation period because it's a trial that will come upon the whole world. And then the Lord wraps that up with, behold, I come quickly. So the Lord is gonna keep us from the tribulation period. We're gonna sit this one out. Great to have you with us today as we get into some meaty studies with Pastor Greg Laurie from Harvest Ministries in Riverside, California. Today, he begins a new topic in his Revelation series. It's called Beauty and the Beast, exploring Revelation chapter 17 and tackling a section rich with symbolism. Let's continue. So let's pick up where we last left off with the beast in our story. The Bible tells us that a powerful religious deception 
will sweep the earth in the last days and it's described as Babylon. Babylon is pictured as a prostitute riding a beast and she's dressed in red. So we'll call her the scarlet harlot. And it's also revealed as a mystery. We all love a good mystery, right? This is mystery Babylon. Let's read Revelation 17, verse three. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which is full of names of blasphemy having seven heads and 10 horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman, verse six of chapter 17, drunk with the blood of saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. And the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I'll tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and 10 horns. We'll stop there. So you read a text like this and your reaction is probably, uh, what? What does this all mean? But it's not as complex as you may think. Babylon is a picture of man's kingdom without God. Man's kingdom without God. Babylon is sort of a code word. It represents something else. For instance, when we say, well, over in Madison Avenue, they do thus and so. We don't mean uh, the literal Madison Avenue, but we're referring to people who are involved in uh, advertisement and promotion and things of that nature. Or when we say Hollywood, you know over in Hollywood, we don't mean the literal city of Hollywood, we mean the entertainment industry. When we say, well uh, over at Wall Street, we don't mean the actual Wall Street, we're talking about commerce and finance. So when we use the word Babylon, in the Bible, it's a picture of pure evil. When Peter wrote to the believers living in Rome, he said, to the church in Babylon. Now in fact, they weren't in Babylon, which was a city, they were in Rome, but because of the wickedness of the city, he said to the believers in Babylon. So Babylon is a point of reference for evil. Contextually, looking at the book of Revelation, Babylon refers to an entire worldwide political, economic, and religious kingdom under the control of Antichrist. But Babylon can be personal as well. It's basically a life that is consumed with pride, sensuality, idolatry, effectively anything that takes the place of God. A little history lesson. Babylon began on the plains of Shinar uh, back in the book of Genesis and we read about the world's first dictator. His name was Nimrod. And by the way, his name means we will revolt. So don't name your sons Nimrod. I know it's a Bible name, but it's not a good one. So Nimrod was a wicked man. In fact, he's described in the book of Genesis as a mighty hunter of men's souls in defiance of the Lord. So Nimrod, this wicked man, directed the people to build a tower. And it was known as the Tower of Babel. 
And in their estimation, this was the tallest building that had ever been erected. And at the top of it was an astrological observatory. So this is the beginning of mankind looking to the stars for direction. And in fact, in God's judgment of the Babylonians, he mentions in Isaiah 47, 12, you labored with your sorcery and your astrology from your youth. So clearly, God does not approve of this. So listen to me. Don't be reading your astrology column in the local newspaper. Don't base any decisions in your life on what the stars say. And it really doesn't matter what your sign is uh, because these are things that a Christian should not look to. Yet, 70 million Americans read their astrology every single day. By the way, that's around 23% of the population. It's just amazing to me that a person would actually make a decision based on what some random person wrote that they probably just made up and actually say, this is how I'm getting direction for my life. Think of all the magazines and sites you see that have an astrology column. Imagine how it would be if there was a, a collection of scriptures to read each and every day. What a game changer that would be. But this all started with ancient Babylon. And by the way, if someone really is searching for truth, God will lead them to himself. We all love the Christmas story and those wise men. But don't forget that the wise men phrase comes from the root word magi, which is the word that we get magician from. So the magi were actually astrologer astronomers who looked to the stars for direction. Uh, they were very important, powerful individuals that would give advice to the king. And so what does the Lord do? He sends a star that leads them to the child Jesus. So here's the Tower of Babel, a classic example of man trying to reach God. <laughs> That's religion in a nutshell. Religion is man's attempt to reach God. Christianity, in contrast, is God's attempt to reach man. Religion can be summed up in one word, do. Do this and you'll reach nirvana. Do that and you may get to heaven one day. Do this other thing and you might find inner peace. A lot of do's, do this, do that. But Christianity could be summed up in one word. Not do, but done. It's done. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished, which means it is accomplished, it is completed. I don't have to do a bunch of stuff to reach God. God has done the heavy lifting to reach me and sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins and rise again from the dead. And we can have him live in our hearts. But man is a religious creature. He always has been, but he sort of likes to make it up as he goes. Sort of a do-it-yourself faith. You know, we like the idea of forgiveness. We just don't want to repent. We like the hope of heaven, but we don't like the reality of hell. We sort of like to pick and choose what appeals to us. That's Babylon. Babylonian thinking, if you will. Babylon was also the beginning of humanism. People came together. God said, I want you to spread out across the earth. And the people said, no, let's come together instead. 
Let's come together in defiance of God. Let's come together and build this tower and look to the stars, not to the Lord, for direction in our lives. And so they, they build this tower and they're all excited about it. They're thinking it's really gonna be impressive to God. It's almost like they're saying, hey God, there's a new kid in town, we're here. Check out our awesome tower. And the Bible tells us that the Lord came down to see it. And it's kind of almost humorous because it's so tiny, the Lord says, actually I don't have a telescope in heaven strong enough to even see your mighty tower, so I'm gonna come down, way down, down, and, and get on my hands and knees and see if I can find your awesome little tower. And that's us with all of our accomplishments thinking we don't need God. Of course, God sent confusion to them. No one could understand each other, and they were babbling, and so that's the root word of Babylon. Now, of course, there was a mighty kingdom of Babylon as well, ruled by Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, it was a massive, mighty world power, uh, which was ultimately defeated by the Medo-Persian Empire. And that was when the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar was ruling. His name was Belshazzar. So it was the end of Babylon's babbling. Great insights today from Pastor Greg Laurie on the mention of Babylon in chapter 17 in Revelation. Today's message, Beauty and the Beast, reveals how heavy the subject of Bible prophecy can be. It also shows how candid the book of Revelation is about the tribulation to come. Well, next time, some more insight from Revelation 17 and what we're to know from this scene involving the beast and the scarlet harlot. Join us then on A New Beginning. Today's message from Pastor Greg Laurie was called Beauty and the Beast. If you'd like to listen again, just download the free Vision Christian Media app where it's available as a podcast. Or for a copy on CD, contact Vision Christian Store on 1-800-005011 or go to visionstore.org.au. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 